Good morning, everyone. How's it going? Fantastic to see you here this morning. For those of you who might be here for the first time, my name's Colin. I'm one of the leaders here at Anthem. Really pleased that you chose to join us this morning. If you are here for the first time today or you're just passing through or you, you know, like to say, hey, this is me, I'm here at Anthem, um, we have this card that you were probably given uh, here this morning. It's, we call it our Connect card and uh, we'd love to get to know you a little bit. So put your information on there and we have a box we call, which we call the generosity box at the back. You can drop it in there at the back with your, your name and email and information on there and uh, there's a free gift for you at the back. How about that? Who would like to go from church with a free gift? Most of you have one already. You don't get one. But if you're here for the first time, you're welcome to take one. It's a free Toyota Camry. So uh, please take that with you when you go. Um, thanks for coming out this morning. Uh, if you wanted to give this morning, the box is there available for your gifts. Uh, or I know many of you are giving online as well on a regular basis. Um, just uh, this week, I connected back with those folks who are sort of part of the, uh, what we call the 90-day giving challenge. And um, I was just sharing with them that, you remember, when we give to God, we are investing in, we're not just investing in a church, we're investing in God's kingdom. And unlike Anthem Church, God's kingdom is an eternal kingdom and lasts forever. So just think about that a little bit when you're giving, that you're not just giving to a local church, you're giving to the mission of God around the world in an eternal way, which I think always puts in perspective for me what, you know, the, the little money that God has given me to be a steward of, I get an opportunity to invest it in something that's eternal. Uh, There's just one thing I want to announce this morning uh, before we kind of get into some of our uh, content for the day, and that is uh, coming up in a few weeks is what we're calling Girls' Night Out. So I am the wrong person to be talking about this because I don't really know what's going on. All I know is that there's painting and food involved, okay? And so uh, I want you to check your program out for Girls' Night Out. If you're a girl and you fit into that category, you'd like to join them for that. Um, Information on your program, sign up. Bring some friends with you. It's hosted right here about a mile away at the Academy for Creative Arts. And uh, that's where we have our Anthem offices, actually. So if you're a girl and you'd like to get connected uh, at Anthem, get to know some people on a casual kind of fun night out. Someone's texting me, and I'm just making sure that it's not one of you here that wants something. Okay. Um, and uh, so we'd love to have you be a part of that. We had a men's event last night, men's worship night. It was fantastic. And it was in a basement, which is very man cavey. But this is at a painting place, which seems more feminine to me. I don't know. I, you wouldn't want to see my art or anything. But, but if you're into that... Uh, uh, sign up for Girls' Night Out. We'd love to have you be a part of that. Have you ever um, come across people, or maybe you are this kind of person that's got pretty negative views about who God is because you've heard of some of the kind of dastardly things he's done in the past, and you've maybe read some, some verses in the Bible which kind of cause you to be a little concerned, and um, maybe you don't really understand how the whole God of the Bible fits together. It seems like he was kind of mean and nasty in the Old Testament, and then he finally figured himself out when it got to Jesus. Um, we are beginning a series today which we're calling God Behaving Badly, and we want to just kind of address over these next three or four weeks some of those passages of the Old Testament that just leave people with cause for concern. And so um, I just thought that maybe uh, to cash in on sort of like public opinion about what God's like, maybe we'd sort of uh, watch this little collage of uh, videos that we put together here. Check this out. God, shall we? For his blessings are raining down upon me. Wait, that's not rain! God is a mean kid sitting on an anthill with a magnifying glass, and I'm the ant. He could fix my life in five minutes if he wanted to, but he'd rather burn off my feelers and watch me squirm! Arthur! Arthur! 
King of the Britons. Oh, don't grovel. One thing I can't stand is people groveling. Sorry. Your knights of the round table shall have a task to make them an example in these dark times. Good idea, O oh Lord. Of course it's a good idea. You doubt me? I seek proof. Jim, you don't ask the Almighty for his ID. Then here is the proof you seek. <laughs> Forsaken my church. Well, kind of, but but what? If you'd only gone to church with your family, but you didn't. So, down you go. <laughs> I love that gag. <laughs> Okay, you get the idea? Sound like fun? Let's do this. Um, any of you uh, uh, ever, you know, maybe you've signed up for this on one of your Bible apps or something like this, but have you ever uh, received kind of a daily verse of the day on your Bible? Maybe this is something like this that you get, you know, the kind of encouraging scripture, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's just the sort of thing that you might, you know, kind of take a quick look at while you're at the lights in the morning and uh, sets you on your way for the day, right? There's probably a whole bunch of scriptures in the Old Testament that don't really fit into this category. Like, here's one. Um, Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material, all right? Make sure that you're up on that, okay? Seems like God knew that polyester suits are a bad idea. Um, There's another one here. Uh, do not let your hair become unkempt and do not tear your clothes or you will die and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. All right, anybody here rush out this morning and feeling rather insecure right now? Okay, let's keep going. Uh, there's another one here which uh, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Okay, how many of you are planning on uh, you know, goat cooking for, uh, for lunch today? Um, probably not many of us. And, and then there's another one, you know, that I've been, uh, you're, you're ahead of me, Raven. Um, uh, there's another one that I've been uh, thinking of quite some time because as a teenager, I always used to put this on people's birthday cards. You know, I, you, know you, you sign a birthday card, you sign your name, and then at the bottom, you know, you put like a Bible verse because you're extra spiritual. Nobody ever questioned me on this or anything like that, but I, it, was, it was a practice that I carried on for quite some time. And it's this here, and it says, I'm against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. And so um, I never did get a girlfriend for a very long time. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but, um, you know, there you have it. So my point is, is that, like, there's some pretty bizarre commands and scriptures throughout the Old Testament of the Bible. And it's one of the reasons why people view, uh, sometimes view God or sometimes view the Bible as a, as a collection of a ridiculous set of rules and see God as just this kind of crazy cosmic cop who's just like uh, out to try and get people. And it's a reason why there are people who want nothing to do with God, especially the God of the Old Testament. And um, so we wanted to sort of chat about this theme over the next few weeks. And there's a book uh, by David Lamb, who's an Old Testament theologian, called God Behaving Badly. And uh, if, you, if you like to read, I'd recommend it if you like to get a kind of a broader picture of what the God of the, of the Bible, who the God of the Bible actually is in relation to some of those passages of Scripture. We're just going to get a chance to scratch the surface a little bit over these next few weeks. So um, as kind of an idea of, of what we're um, uh, talking about over these next few weeks, we want to ask these questions. Is God violent or peaceful? Is he angry 
or loving? Is he sexist or is he empowering? And then this week we all ask this question, is God legalistic or is he gracious? Is God legalistic or is he gracious? Now, to start this out, I want to uh, sort of let's remind you that the most common name for God in the Bible was this. It was Yahweh. Everyone say Yahweh. Yahweh. Okay, just so I got you, we're, all, we're all together. Yahweh was, was more the, the intimate personal name of God. It's mentioned 6,800 times in the Old Testament. And it's, it's the name that God essentially gave to himself when he asked the people of Israel, his, his, the, the, his uh, holy community, to relate to him. It's the name that he gave to himself. And it's translated in your English Bible as L-O-R-D. But when Yahweh is translated, in most translations of the Bible, it's, it's translated in, in small caps. So you've got a capital L and then a small capital O, a small capital R, and small capital D. So when you see that, when you're reading your Bible, you're actually reading the word Yahweh which is a descriptive word of, of, of it's the name that God gave to himself. You know how personal it is when we call somebody by their first name? The, the relationship and the intimacy that it presumes when you speak to somebody by their first name. You know, whenever I go to events like with other pastors and uh, you know, we go to these conferences and stuff like that, it's really great because I... I don't remember all their names, but I can go up to them and say, oh, hello, pastor. And uh, you can call everybody brother or sister. And there's this kind of like, you get by with that. Or, or when you're out, you know, the weekend, you see someone, hey, bud, how are you? And you're like, no clue what your name is. But um, there's something unique and personal about when you can relate to somebody by their first name. And it, it defines and strengthens the relationship. And Yahweh is a unique word in the Hebrew language because those, those, uh, the A and the E aren't actually really there. In fact, it's, it's actually spelled just Y-H-W-H. It's, those are, they're called um, aspirated consonants, which means that uh, there's some sort of breath involved when you say those, those consonants. In fact, if you put a, uh, a candle in front of your mouth, and you, if you whisper the word Yahweh, You'll, you'll notice that the candle flickers. It's, you know, some letters and some words would do that, and other letters and words don't do that. I know I've lost you for the next five minutes because you're going to be like, what words? You'll be breathing on your hand and thinking what words do and don't. If anyone's got a lighter here, you could try that out. Um, but let's not impact like the smoke alarms or anything like that. You know, one author said it's possible that uh, the very first word you utter when you were born was the name of God. And the very last word you say when you die is the name of God. And it's because of this, that, they, that some theologians think that Yahweh is the sound of breathing. It's the sound we make when we breathe. So when we, when we first are born, Yahweh, until we die, way, that there's this, that, that we spend our, every breath is spent saying the name of God. First thing you say when you're born, Yahweh. Last thing you say when you die, Yahweh. And we're going, to return, we're going to refer to God as Yahweh through these next four weeks. Because that unique name that God said, this is what I want you to call me by. Essentially, my first name is, the, is a reminder to us throughout all the things that we might see in the Scriptures that we might full, not fully understand that God is looking for relationship with us. 
And we're going to refer to him as Yahweh. His intent is intimate relationship with us. And remember that in the trouble, in the context of some of these troubling passages of the Bible, he's close. He's really close. And so today's question for us, is God legalistic or gracious? So what's legalism? Legalism is that belief that we can earn or keep the favor of God. We can kind of keep in with God by what we do. It paints a picture of God as being this kind of referee in the sky that, that is always calling out infractions or just trying to you know, fix the bad things that we're doing. You know, I brought a whistle with me this morning just so I can uh, uh, dis- uh, demonstrate this. And you might want to cover your ears because I'm going to... <laughs> you're actually doing it. But, um, you know, a ref- you, you, do you expect God to be like, don't do that. Don't go there. Stop smoking. Don't go to that website. You know, there's this constant feeling like, is God that kind of, that kind of being that he's a referee in the sky that's just calling out infractions, finding things. Steve, don't do that. <laughs> Personal joke. Only me and Steve will know what Steve's talking about. You can ask him later, right? Steve, you really shouldn't do that. <laughs> Please, ask Steve later. This is Steve, everybody. You've got to ask him what he did yesterday. <laughs> um, but uh, we, you know, we... <laughs> We, we sometimes expect that God is like that. I mean, you don't ever find a referee going, hey, good job. It would be weird, wouldn't it? I love you. <laughs> you know, that's not like referee style, but God is as much with that as he is over here. You know, God wants to be our encourager. God is cheering us on. And yet if we have this view that God is a referee, that God is somebody who's always down on us and trying to find what things that we've messed up or things that we've done wrong. We get a wrong impression of God. Uh, we showed a, a little clip from um, uh, Bruce Almighty earlier in that, in, uh, in that montage. And, and there's, this, there's this little uh, clip in that movie where, he, where Bruce just gets so mad. He's like, smite me, almighty smiter. You know, he's just, he just thinks God's just out to get him. He can't imagine that God has any um, uh, other thing to do other than be out to get him. That can be our feeling. You know, why do people see Yahweh as legalistic? I think there's a, two or three reasons. I think one is because there are so many commands. Um, you know, what to wear, uh, how to cook, how to build stuff, where to go. And the, the Old Testament is kind of teeming with some stuff that seems irrelevant to our lives today, and we don't really get it. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't think that just because there are a lot of laws that therefore... Yahweh himself is legalistic. Those laws were put there to create a just and safe framework for that society. And we have a lot of laws too, right? You know, uh, how many of you like this one? When you go into a a town and you see that, you're like, oh, town-wide, 25 miles per hour? Who drives at 25 miles per hour? Oh, okay, it's just me that finds that upsetting. All right, sorry. But, um, you know, I'm so frustrated, but I've got to get somewhere, and I see one of those signs. And, you know, the car barely idles at 25, right? You know, you see one of those signs, 25, like who can do that for an entire town? And then you get to the next town, and it's the same side again. Um, you know, right here in Massachusetts, we are good at weird laws, okay? So here's some weird, strange laws for either Massachusetts or Boston. Here in Massachusetts, it is illegal to take a lion to the movies, Remember that. At a funeral wake, mourners must eat no more than three sandwiches. Okay? True. All right? In Boston, specifically Boston, it is illegal to eat peanuts in church. All right? So you're good if you bought peanuts this morning. Snoring is prohibited unless all bedroom windows are closed and securely locked. You know who you are. 
Your spouse might be uh, nudging you right now. Also in Boston, all men must carry a rifle to church on Sunday. We'll move past that one really quickly. No show of hands or anything. And finally, this is a Boston, this is a Boston rule as well. Tomatoes may not be used in the production of clam chowder. Right? It would go against the natural law of things, wouldn't it? Like you just shouldn't do that. Uh, okay, so uh, there we go. A little bit of a, a local understanding that, yeah, we have laws still on the books, or at least according to Google, still on the books that, that perhaps uh, seem irrelevant to us. We have to remember that as we navigate the pages of the Old Testament of the Bible, in some cases, you're peering through the window at a 3,000-year-old culture that on, on clear on the other side of the world that you don't understand. Now, I remember when I came from England 22 years ago, 1998, I'd not spent any time in the United States at the time. Um, uh, Liz and I had met in England. She was from California. I was from England. We, you know, ended up moving here after we'd been married for a couple of years. Um, and it was, it was, I was coming from a country that has the strongest, um, uh, the, the strongest gun control laws of pretty much anywhere in the Western world. There had recently been a, um, a shooting with a guy who went into an elementary school with, uh, I think, five or six handguns hand guns in Scotland. And even handguns had been banned shortly before I came here. So the tightest gun control laws in the world. Uh, I know some of you are getting all scary right now because you think I'm getting political, but that's not really the point. But, um, but as I came here, then I discovered there's this country with a thing called the Second Amendment, right? So imagine for a minute somebody that's grown up in England with the tightest gun control laws in, 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 in the West, and our police officers don't say stop or I'll shoot, they say stop or I'll say stop again. Do you know what I mean? Like that's all they got, right? You know, it's a little different to here. So, so imagine I, came, I grew up with that and then I come here and there's this thing called the Second Amendment, which is the right to bear arms. I couldn't understand for a while the context of a 222-year-old constitution for a country that was on the other side of the world to me. It took me a while to understand history and understand context and understand you know, how that developed. Imagine the, why we need to think about context to understand the world of part of the scriptures that were 3,000 years old in the ancient world on the other side of the world. So, um, you know, you could imagine uh, perhaps an irrelevant law. So, for instance, if I said to all the men in the room, um, don't buy a copy of Sports Illustrated the week after Super Bowl, all right? Just don't do it. And maybe some of you would be like, well, yeah, you're probably right because that's the swimsuit edition and I just don't want to go there. Uh, And so what if my notes were found 3,000 years into the future in the year, what would that be, 50, 20? What if my notes were found and somebody reads this thing that says, oh, yeah, don't, don't buy a copy of, of Sports Illustrated uh, in early February? It wouldn't make any sense to the readers whatsoever. So sometimes there's unusual laws in the Scriptures that we may or may not fully understand because we don't understand the concept. Concept. Another reason why I think people think God's legalistic is that there's so many restrictive commands. You know, out of those 613 commands in the Old Testament, do you know that 365 of them are restrictive commands? It's like the the ultimate, like the worst ever tear-off calendar. Oh, look, there's another thing I shouldn't do each day. There's 365 uh, restrictive commands that, that, that God had for the people of Israel. 
So you're not alone in your thinking that, that God is like a fun basher, that he's trying to spoil everything. Like some of us were raised with the kind of idea, if you're happy and you know it, it's a sin. You know, like that's kind of like it's the, sort, of the way that we, sort of the way that we grew up and what we, what we bring with us into this seemingly grace-based relationship with Jesus. But right at the very beginning of time, if you read Genesis chapter 3, it seems like the snake's challenge to Adam and Eve was always a challenge to what God had said. Did God really say that? And there's always been this desire in us to disbelieve Yahweh's intentions. The enemy, right from the start, was trying to get us to wonder, can I really trust Yahweh? And Yahweh's commands might seem that they place restrictions on our lives, but Yahweh isn't here to be legalistic. He's not here to spoil our fun. But you know, another reason why we think he is legalistic is, quite, quite frankly, there's enough legalistic Christians on the world, everywhere, right? That, you know, we, we can often express our Christianity in behavior modification for everybody else around us. And what does legalism look like in Christians? It's that believing that I can earn my way back to God by doing something good and by avoiding bad deeds. By trying to pay, pay God back for the good that he's done. Some of us I know are fighting to get out of this thing that we've grown up with. That I've, got to, I've got to pay God back for what he's done for me. I've got to somehow give back for what God has done for me. It's easy for us to think that God loves me more because I'm better than the next guy at keeping laws. When what we actually need to do is have a better understanding of what Yahweh's commands are. All right, so in order to do that, I want us to go to the very first chapter of the Bible, and we're going to read a verse in Genesis, verse, Genesis 1, verse 28. And it says this. Uh, this is the very first chapter of the Bible, very beginning. God creates the heavens and the earth. God creates Adam and Eve. It says, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. All right, that basically means have a lot of sex, okay? So I know some of you just woke up at that point, right? <laughs> You're like, what, what now? Uh, so, like, I mean, go back to that verse there, Raven. Like, let, read it. God blessed them in number and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Like, I don't know any other way to do it, right? There's, a, there's one way to make that happen. And God says to Adam and Eve, he says, be fruitful and increase in number. And Adam's like, all right, <laughs> we can do this, you know? And, uh, you know, if some of you uh, husbands are, like, rushing out after church today, I'm like, hey, just, we're just obeying the Word of God, honey. We just got to get out of here and do what the Bible says we're supposed to do, all right? So, like, it, that doesn't sound legalistic, right? It doesn't sound legalistic at all. God is, is, uh, is somebody that is, that is sending, uh, sending joy and sending love and sending life out as one of his first commands. The second command is this in Genesis 2.16. It says, and the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree. In, where are we? Uh, uh, will you, go back one. Oh, we missed one, but let me, let me read it. It's in Genesis 2.16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of the good, of, good and evil. So essentially, the beginning part of that law was you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. He's basically saying all this is for food. Go for it. Have a lot of sex, eat a lot of food. You know, it just seems like a, doesn't seem like Yahweh's style that he gets into later on. Yahweh's goodness is the foundation for every one of his laws. His goodness, remember, Yahweh, this intimate God like no other, his goodness to us is the foundation for every one of his laws. Every time we come across one of his commands, we should view the command 
through the lens of Yahweh's goodness. We should view the, the command with the premise that it holds Yahweh's wisdom for our human flourishing. That as we read passages of Scripture that we don't fully understand, we remember at the head of it, God wants us to flourish on this earth. I want to read, um, read some of the, the verses from the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments God gave to Charlton Heston as he came down the mountain, you know, and uh, God gave to Moses the Ten Commandments, and we read about them in Exodus. And uh, we can often take these commandments as being purely negative, as being purely harsh, like, don't do this, don't do that. But right at the very top of, of the Ten Commandments passage, I want to read a little bit of the context of it. Exodus 20 verse 1 says this, um, And the Lord spoke these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We'll keep that up there for a second, because after that, he goes into what's called the Ten Commandments, and he, he uh, gives these commandments to Moses. But we often forget this verse right here, this verse that describes who God is. You see, you've got, you've got the word Lord in capitals there, which means that we're talking about the word Yahweh. We're talking about the Lord, your God, this personal, intimate being who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He's just reminding his people that I am your deliverer. We always we already sung that this morning. You are my deliverer. We've sung about our deliverer God who brought, us, who brought them out of slavery and has brought us out of slavery so we can have a relationship with God. Two things that we need to remember in all the discussion about the Ten Commandments, that God wants to have an intimate relationship with us and that he is our deliverer and sets people free. That's his goal, is to set people free. So I want to read some of these Ten Commandments out to you, but maybe in a slightly different way, so that we can just think of them as being for our flourishing, rather than anything else. Exodus 23 and 4. Yahweh says, Imagine if you had intimate relationship with me, and with only me the one true God. No more idols and all the things that go with that, but a living relationship with the one who made all this. Next one. Imagine if you lived in a way where true rest is possible, where rather than run ragged, you enjoy the serenity, you enjoy a serenity of heart and mind. Imagine if you lived with no desire to take anything that doesn't belong to you. Because ultimately, you don't need it anyway. Imagine if you lived with no desire to have someone else's life or someone else's stuff. Imagine feeling content with what Yahweh has given you. That's not really legalistic, is it? It's not, not, even, not even close. Instead, we we begin to see a a, a tangible and real picture of Yahweh's desire for our human flourishing stemming out of the goodness of his heart, coming out of the goodness of who he is. So we need to start seeing the the scriptures as uh, through through a different lens, through a a lens of God wants for my good. So even when I, I read something that seems restrictive, 
that God's heart within that is still for my good and still for when we read scriptures that they're for those that will follow him. We have this view that when we read scriptures that there shouldn't be any boundaries around us. But boundaries are part of life, aren't they? I, I, I think back to the time in my life as a parent when I, I shudder at what happened and we feel that we did something that was terribly negligent was when our son was a year old. And it was, uh, it was, a, it was like 2004, Memorial Day. Micah was a year, sorry, 2005, uh, seven, one of those years. Anyway, uh, my kids are correcting me. It was, it was Memorial Day, <laughs> and um, it was a beautiful day. It was 80 degrees. We were outside in the backyard, like, goofing around with all our kids under sprinklers, wearing swimsuits and uh, just T-shirts or something like that. And uh, we, we were grilling some steaks, us and some friends, and then the, we ran out of gas on the, on the outside grill. So we came and put the steaks in the oven to finish them up off there. Kids were just running around in their swimsuits. Michael was wearing a diaper. Sorry, where is he? I don't know. <laughs> um, and uh, Liz and I went to open the other door at the time when the steaks were ready. One of us kind of opened the door. The other one of us started to pull the, the tray of steaks out. And in a split second, and in a moment of us not seeing what was going on, uh, one-year-old Micah crawled between us and then pushed kind of a low open door, pushed his hand onto the open oven door and pushed himself up. And in, there's that second or two when, for a, you know, a, a kid, they, they don't realize what just happened. They, they're not aware yet of what hot feels like. And, of course, he put the whole force of his hand onto it. And, um, and then there was that split second where we were just like, oh, my gosh, what just, just happened? Is it hot? And then you're like, well, of course it's hot, you know, and you kind of pull his hand off, and he had third-degree burns on on his fingers, and if you're lucky enough, maybe he'll show you some of that at the end of the service today. We've got like show and tell today, don't we, Steve? Um, and 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 he went through, you know, I think it was a week at the pediatric uh, ward at a hospital in Detroit where we were living, and having to have that wound scraped each day to get the the remaining dead skin off to hopefully heal and to begin the healing process, and. It was the one time in our lives where you think, oh, if only we had been more um, diligent with creating safety and offense, and offense around a situation that, that went badly wrong. Now, in the grand scheme of things, that's one of those situations that could have been a lot worse. And, you know, you hear stories and maybe some of you have experienced that kind of situation where someone just made a genuine mistake and didn't put a boundary around somebody that didn't know better. Should we be in that place where we believe that we know better on how to handle life than the author of life himself? On how life should be done in relationship to the God of the universe who created life and who knows the best way for us to live. Yahweh's commands are meant to establish a fence around us where as long as his people stay within that fence... They'll experience his goodness and his favor. We'll flourish. But if we get outside of that fence, then the dangers of pain and turmoil will just increase exponentially every turn. Now, here's where all of the Old Testament law and all of the commands, where it was headed. Uh, Romans uh, 10 says that it was all heading towards Jesus because the Bible says in Romans 10 that Christ is the culmination of the law that Christ's coming was the completion 
of all that had been taking place in the Old Testament law. We don't see the law as restrictive, but as wisdom from our loving Father, because it was heading towards its fulfillment in Jesus. That's why we we put our focus on Jesus. That's why we we live in that post-Jesus world where we 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 respond to to Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father by, by me. That we, we are not a people that need to uh, uh, try to figure out 613 Old Testament laws because it has been fulfilled in Christ. So what if even as we read the New Testament of the Bible, we understand some of those New Testament passages that seem to be commands within the context of a loving and good Yahweh. Matthew five forty four. Imagine... If we saw the command to love your enemies, not as a sign of weakness, but as a way to experience real peace in a world that seems so divisive. Imagine if we saw the command to be generous, not as God wanting our money, but as a way for us to find freedom from consumerism, idolatry, and greed. Imagine if we saw the command towards forgiveness. And this is perhaps the hardest one of all, to to not be a welcome mat, but taking bolt cutters to the chains that bind us, to the wounds that that are inflicted on us. God's Word isn't just a book of rules, but it's rather a story revealing the depths of Yahweh's love, and goodness, and kindness, and mercy towards us. I want to invite the the band to come up and join us as we continue our worship this morning. Imagine the kind of transformation that might take place in our lives. If we could remember that Yahweh is for me, that God is for me, He's not against me. When we get to that place, I think we might be able to to join the the author of Psalms in uh, Psalm 119, verse 97, it was written, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it day, all day long. Imagine this Psalm 119. It's, It's the longest Psalm in the Bible, and it's just littered with verses about loving the law of God, loving the commands of God. I think when we get to that place where we know that Yahweh is for us, that God is for us, we can get to that place where we say, yes, Lord, I love your law. I love your precepts. I love your commands. And just like this psalmist over and over again just said the same thing, God, I love your law. I'm submitted to it. I'll give my life to it. I meditate on it all day long. I think it's, it's, it's only when, when we remember that God is for us that we can get to that place. We don't obey God for his affection. We don't work for God's approval. We work from God's affection. We receive God's affection. We receive God's approval. And then we respond to it. We already have the fullness of God in Jesus already. We don't do these things in order for him to love us. We know that he already loves us fully and completely. So what if we understood that every breath that we inhale, and exhale, is declaring the name of Yahweh over and over again 
to the lost and the broken world that God's called us to. Let's pray together. Lord, forgive us for so often looking at our great, wonderful, beautiful God and treating you with disdain because we don't understand even the beginning of your love for us. And Father, I pray today that we might recognize that in you, is the greatest example of love that we can ever imagine or experience. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love, Lord. Let's stand together. shown your love to us Lord and most of all when you sent Jesus to die as a sacrifice for our sins and we will declare that name and we declare his praise until the, the last time that we declare the name of Yahweh continue to offer our worship to you today